The dawn of civilization. Primitive. Dangerous. Exciting. The handwriting is on the wall. If the human race is ever going to amount to anything, it needs... The most civilized caveman I have ever seen. Ah. You're listening to the Knuckle Draggers Extravaganza on Z Digital. If you're joining us at a later date through Cave Dweller Music, my name is Matt, and uh, we are rejoined by a gentleman we had on the show probably two months ago now, uh, and we've enlisted an extra person for this one here. We've got uh, Aaron and John joining us this evening. How are we, gents? Uh, Great. Let's just say great. (laughs) (laughs) We'll take it. We'll take it. We'll take it. Um, Now... Listeners, John, like we said, may remember you from a show we did probably about a month, maybe two months ago now. It all sort of blends into one, really. Yeah, it does. And during yeah. the interview, we were like, okay, we got to get Aaron on board to get everything in regards to Mythscribe and Magic Scepter. But I want to bring things back and ask you guys a question that I've recently, uh, it's been going around the office here. What kind of wizard would you guys be? I'm going to give you two options, but if you can think of a better one, by all means, go for it. Are you a pointy hat and a staff kind of wizard, or are you like the the dark cloak, glowing green potion kind of wizard? Oh, Jesus Christ. I don't think I've been asked a more difficult question. It's a, It um, has stumped me for a little while. Like initially my thought was... The dark robe and glowing green potions kind of got that, you know, dark brooding, you're introspective, but then there's also the <laughs> the whimsical and fun nature of pointy hat and staff. It's hard to beat the classic, honestly. Um, probably, I have a, a real soft spot for the classic pointy hat um, staff. Um, actually, Aaron's brother, who plays in our D&D group, has the classic... Um, scepter thing with the ball on the end like with the clasp <laughs> yeah, and I, I when he described that i was just like you know i almost climax i thought that was great um so i'm gonna go with the classic um i i think in reality though i'd probably occupy the, the cloak potion guy um to be honest i think i'm 100 percent uh pointy hat yeah 100 percent yeah, that seems to be the uh, the go to option for a lot of people, and you can understand, like you said, it's the classic. It's what everyone thinks when they think of a wizard first and foremost. I think when um, Aaron and I rock around as a duo, I think most people would class me as the bad cop. Is that right, Aaron? Uh, yeah, I think that's <laughs> definitely right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So there well, you that's go. The, that's the reason why we got you guys on today. We wanted to talk about Mystic Scepter, which is a way for you guys to both have uh, all the stuff that you guys do in one central spot. But let's walk it back a bit further. When did you guys first start interacting on this sort of artistic level? Like what was the genesis that would go on to spawn Mystic Scepter? Uh, Well, our bands used to play together way back in the day at Rick's Bar um Aaron's uh, band. classic yeah before it got sold so it's kind of still um half decent at that point um sort of and uh yeah like Aaron's Shige's band used to uh, play with us a lot and we sort of formed a, a friendship and a bond there and then um I, I moved over to England and then he actually moved 
You went to London first, right? Or was it Scotland first? You can probably take over from here. Yeah, so um, shortly, a little bit later after that, I moved to Scotland and then down to London for a good chunk of time. And uh, actually, being overseas for all up about six years. And then um, by that time, John had already moved back to Australia. But then when I came back to Australia, I settled down, settled and started down. You know, getting back into life and stuff like that, and I just, uh, I contacted you basically out of the blue one day. Yeah, John. we we've always been kind of orbiting each other wherever we go, like, um, you know, but we were just never quite in close enough vicinity to sort of see each other a, a lot. And um, yeah, you just hit me up out of nowhere. We had was actually, this COVID? Was this COVID? This is just when COVID hit, hey? Um. Well, we had obviously like um hung out a few times just socially when I got back. But then just when I started to get into Dungeons and Dragons and I had got to that point where I was looking to run my own game or, you know, start a, start up a group. Um, that's when I obviously I thought about John and I was like, hmm, I might ask him if he wants to play. Yeah. And then. Uh, I think you said something like, hey, you draw dragons and stuff, right? Would you. By chance, possibly want to play D and D. Yeah, I, and, I wasn't even. To be honest, I wasn't even one hundred percent certain that that you were into that 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 you would be into something like Dungeons and Dragons. I, I didn't. Well, it's kind of strange because I actually had never really played before, and it like that kind of blows people's minds because you know I used to do a lot of Games Workshop gaming back in the day and stuff, and. Um, do a little bit of RPG gaming on the side, not very much, but I never really, I guess, had a taste of D&D properly. So I was actually super ready for this. And um, people had always been saying to me, like, D&D would suit you uh, really well because I, I kind of hate competitive gaming and playing against people and stuff. It's not really for me. So um, I was intrigued. And then, man, after that first session, I was just purely addicted straight away. You're straight away hooked. Yeah. And our, our group, like Aaron's very organized and meticulous with his planning. So he actually um, sort of behind the scenes picked people, which all filled different gaps of, of style. So literally our, our gaming group is just exactly what you need for an adventuring crew. And everyone plays the character that suits them and it just operated really well. Um, so, you know, hats off to you for <laughs> choosing yeah. wisely there. And we still play with, um, to this day. But obviously just like getting really, really uh, lost in our own fantasy world that we created together, essentially, we just started to always, like we, we started to really get into like looking for music to accompany it to accompany the games and all that kind of stuff and then we just got lost that's basically when we started to dabble in with the idea of um starting to make our own music and you're trawling through Bandcamp, going what's really going to suit this you know i've got this idea that i want but there's nothing there that hits that exact vibe is that where you sort of went oh mate fuck this i'm just going to make my own well i think that we we probably it was probably a bit unconscious but it was like Wait a minute. We're musicians. We've been musicians for twenty years. <laughs> I think um, you I th- I think convinced me this. to do it, Aaron. You're like, wait a second. Don't you really love dungeon synth? Why don't you make dungeon synth? And I was like, 
Yeah. Yeah, that's really dumb. I never thought of that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but I, I think also the rest um, is history because we had our big, you know, I call it chill one playlist that would go on for ever. And then, um, kind of as you were hacking up the rules to make it more and more like old school and dungeony and kind of um, going back to rudimentary stuff, moving away from the five e enus, um, and yeah, so the the music kind of needed to be a little bit like grittier for yeah. that and so it was this kind of thing that sort of just happened over a, a period of time and I, I became obsessed with dungeon synth very quickly um like everyone who finds it for the first time i just couldn't believe that it existed yeah it's one of those things um, and we were mentioning this last time john when we were having yeah. a chat that that's how you came in through into dungeon synth aaron was that how you came across it as well or is it were you orbiting Dungeon Synth before going, I've got to start making music for my own campaign? Well, I think, no, it was actually, I got, in, I got into Dungeon Synth through this and uh, through the process that we just described. Um, again, I, I also was, was someone who, was, like when I, John put me onto Dungeon Synth music, I, I was thinking like, I was, I was also thinking, I can't believe that this exists because the, the music that you, that you would think to accompany your games and to accompany your, your you know, your fantasy, um, you know, thinking about like fantasy worlds and stuff like that is you're going to, as far as I was concerned, you're going to look towards soundtrack music and, you know, relevant fantasy soundtracks, game soundtracks, stuff like that. And for it to... Um, to actually see that there is a whole genre of a whole style of music, a whole world of music that's like uh, goes even further. It's actually no, this is dungeoneering background music. You know, <laughs> it's actually was mind blowing to be honest. And then, um, so I think a lot of people get get um, their pathway through into listening to dungeon synth is like through them the metal and pseudo metal genres. Yeah, that's how I came through into it. And the thing that I'm still stuck with it is like the, the black metal imagery and the dungeon synth imagery has that really big crossover. Yeah. Mm. And you even yeah. listen to some of the earlier uh, black metal records and they've always got that sort of atmospheric. That's where I see that it coming from. But I like the hearing the other view of you came in through fantasy games. Yeah. And yeah, for, for for me, like, because I I probably am more partisan to to death metal, particularly mm. Europe European um, stuff from like you know the nineties, and I think a lot of that stuff from like um, Benediction and Boltron stuff has a kind of zany fantasy thing, which paralleled to the gaming stuff I was interested in, where the black metal stuff tends to be you know a lot more morose and sort of um you know graveyardy and stuff like that and i quite liked the fact that dungeon synth did have both of those options it does have you know that kind of fantasy tropey stuff that lured me in because of, of the connections with death metal even though um it's you know obviously the black metal connection is far stronger with where it came from and stuff but yeah it was that, I didn't really have the black metal connection, to be honest. So, um, yeah. 
a bit different. We Aaron and I definitely are drawn more to the fantasy um, elements. And so it seems like you guys have had, well, like you said, you've got quite a long connection. And then I think it makes perfect sense. You both sort of start creating it at the same time. John, you've got the art side of it. Aaron, you've got the audio services side of it. And was it kind of a no-brainer at that point to go, we need to do something together? And and that's sort of where Mystic Scepter came about? Yes, <laughs> put bluntly. Um it just sort of fell on our laps and then we just realized that we were the perfect fit um, of personality types and having, you know, different strengths of, of what we do. Um, it just sort of seemed like, oh, oh, very obvious, right, As Like it just yeah. was like we – it would be stupid for us not to like combine think, forces and – Yeah, if I'll know. just jump in, I'll probably say I think it just became obvious when – John um, made his first Lurid Orb album and I, he went through the process of doing that and then I, and I, I actually helped him to set up a lot of like his instrumentation and, and, and using, um, you know, uh, what's, you know, currently like the state of like, like the standards of um, using VSTs and, and digital synthesize, digital synthesizers within your, on the computer and, some analog stuff as well and um you know getting him up to date on that and you know setting him up there and then i went through the process of um mastering the lurid, lurid orb album and uh which, which think- incidentally if i can chop in was a huge hugely needed addition like um i actually listened to a couple of the raw um tracks the other day and i was like oh man like i needed I needed that touch big time. So I think like when we actually just went through that process, we just realized that what we just did was completely complementary to each other. And so it was like a no brainer after that, after that moment when we actually finished and pulled off that first Lurid Orb album um, from start to finish. I think that that was the point where we thought, yeah, I think that that was a really good teamwork. We should probably... Yeah, make something out of this, you know. And there's no way I'm making that album without you setting me up. Like that was the probably the last hurdle stopping me from actually um, getting my hands dirty with it because I'm just not very technologically minded, um, you know, or very up to date with that stuff. So you know, you sort of like built me the gun, and then I just shot, <laughs> I shot the bullet. So. And then and the art side is just a bit of a bonus because, you know, I, exactly, I can just yeah. offer that like um, I, I did have a little, a double motive like of thinking like, well, if I can do my own stuff, maybe I could spruik my wares a little bit around the community. Um, and then, of course, you know, just applying it to Aaron's uh, Mythscribe project. It's, it was really cool because it's, it's very different aesthetic um, and stuff. So it was like, it was, it's just been really fun to do. That's the other thing. It's like it, it's just, none of this is like work. It's like just fun. Yeah. I do want to double down uh, on Mythscriber for us or Mythscribe for a second. Almost every Dungeon Synth record that I've listened to has a story or a theme that they're trying to put across. Aaron, what was the one or what was the uh, idea that you wanted to put in 
uh, to wanderings of cursed halls. Like, what's the what's the imagery? Tell me some story about it. Okay, so this was actually really fun to do. If you, if anyone go like, cares to like jump on and check the uh, track listing on um, wanderings of cursed halls, you'll actually see that there's a bit of a narrative in the sequential order of the track list. There so is. the idea, the idea, the whole concept of the album is that. Um, there, it is an adventuring, a small adventuring party that travels to the dungeon, delves in, goes into the first area, starts to encounter some of the um, dangers of, of, of the dungeon, then goes deeper to a deeper level and then down further, encounters some more um, uh, dangers and pitfalls of, of the dark, deep dungeon and eventually encounters a, 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 a vile beast at the bottom of the in its lair at the bottom of the dungeon and i had i had in my mind the whole time this classic sort of like first edition um dnd style of dark fantasy or grim fantasy um to the whole thing so that that yeah. sort of came through in the in sort of the um uh the imagery and the sound of the uh, of the whole album I do like that, especially that early stuff where, like, I just finished playing a, a session zero of DCC, and I think we ended up having twelve characters all up, and three of them survived. And it's <laughs> Holy sort of like, shit. but that's like that's the whole point of the first session of DCC is you have a, a funnel, roll yes. random characters, and then basically it's last man standing, and then you get a level. So you'll start off at level zero. So I like as soon as you were saying, okay, I've got this idea. It's pretty simple dungeon fairs, but spelling out that storyline does make sense. And that's all I could think. I'm sitting there going, I had this exact session like a week ago. I know exactly yep. where this is going. Yeah. <laughs> and and kind of the thing I like about it was, you know, it's still a little vague. Mm. You know, it's not, you know, pointing out exactly what the things are. It's sort of leaving that up to you, which I think you can see um, has a big effect reading the comments on like his YouTube. Um, and I was looking upload. at it just before and there's like, they've actually got time steps in saying like, you know, this one here, uh, you <laughs> can see a wounded, desperate, but determined night at like 17 minutes. Yep. And then you check against the track listing and you go, yeah, that's almost exactly where I'd think it would be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Uh, that, that did it. That amused me greatly. That, that comment yeah how have you found going into the dungeon synth world in terms of actually producing and making your own music because it seems like one of those things where everyone knows everyone it's quite an online genre and i know that there was one show you guys did at netherworld a while back but how have you found the response well break it down how have you found the response in australia versus how have you found the response online um, with people in Australia, they just come and stick to you straight away because they're just excited that there's local people doing this. Mm. Um, it's, it's almost also, like you can't believe that someone's doing this. Like you said, you couldn't believe that there was music made specifically for this. Yeah. But then I you mean, doubled down. It's like, holy shit, people are doing this in Australia. 
Yeah, exactly. And actually, we've got really good people doing it. I think I mentioned this last time we talked that, you know, some of my um, idols, you know, would, I, I talk to now, you know, like online. And, um, you know, when I found out Questmaster and Vincaldir is from, you know, Australia, I was like, what the hell? Like, Yeah, realizing and- Questmaster was Australia was a big one for me because it's just, it's one of those names that you see everywhere. And because of like the how anonymous the genre is as a whole, when you actually find out where people are from, you go, holy shit. Yeah, it's really weird. And I think Australians have a little bit of a, an innate ability to um, deal with niche genres like this because they don't actually ex- like in their lives experience the things that go into it directly. They don't yeah. live in around castles. They don't have cold winters they don't um you know like you know there's not huge fast mountains here or misty so it's so i think australians have a good ability to kind of like um i don't know like kit bash ideas um together well so a lot of different types of people can kind of get into it um i think that's probably a strength of of australians um in general it kind of adds another level of fantasy to it because, like you said, there's not too many castles. I don't think there are any in Australia, but the misty landscapes and the mountains are few and far between unless you go to, you know, like your Tasmanias or or like Victoria and those kind of places. But even then, it's like how many people are going down there? How many people live in that kind of area? Yeah, exactly. And and you, you hear a lot of the guys from like Scandinavia and stuff, like they, they have a direct relationship with their sound you know like and you can kind of hear that it's just a little closer and i guess like more automatic for them Mm. uh, where i don't know aaron do you you kind of feel like you can do whatever you like because you're not directly connected to an identity i think that's a good way to put it yeah um you i think if you were living in near the the like classic European forest and or near castles or um, uh, misty mountains and stuff like that. I think that you, it, that would be so close to your idea of what of what those things are that it would be kind of like almost mundane to you. Whereas I think that yeah, if you don't have to exist in that environment at all, you have to exercise your imagination. You, have, you just have to you have to build the world because you don't see it every day. And I think just having to build that world for yourself just I think it might, might draw out a bit of creativity. So yeah. have you found that with the um, other Australian dungeon synth guys is because they don't have that direct link, the stories or at least the music that they're putting out is a little bit more narrative-based as opposed to being a direct reflection of what's in front of them? I think so. I think in, by and large, um, yeah, there tends to be a lot more width of sound. Like I, I noticed with a lot of the Australian guys, like each album sounds really different or each, even each song within the album sound quite different um, and varied. I think that that is increasing across the board in Dungeon Synth these days because everyone's having up their game. But um, I think with Australian, it, it, you know, composers, it's, it's just a little bit more automatic and natural to them. Um, for sure. And what about you, Aaron? Do you see a little bit more in terms of the uh, creativity and the story-driven 
nature of the Australian side of things? Yeah, um, I, th- I think that's pretty much definitely the case. Um, I think the uh, the Australian artists are, are creating uh, creating their own concepts, and um, like that's what I'm doing. And so um, uh, I, pr- I presume it's pretty much the same for even like like all the guys down south and stuff like that. Yeah, and, and a lot of the releases are. A lot of the re- releases are kind of conceptualized in full, you know, with themed, you know, merch and, and physical yeah. drops and stuff. Like it's kind of they're in bundles of stuff, which is not just Australian, but that it does seem to be a lot more prevalent here or or natural um, compared to over over in the states and the and Europe. But one of the big ones that I got onto recently, I think they're from Perth. They're a black metal band, but they did this great dungeon synth record about how the Nazgul became the Nazgul, and it's like the it's a direct reflection of that. And with the um, the song titles and everything, it goes through it step by step. I think it's F A Fathomage or Fathomage. Uh, yeah, I, don't ask me to pronounce that, but I know you're talking about. You know the guy, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yep. Really cool stuff, and. I think that hits the nail on the head because it's so far removed from the classic imagery. You do tend to draw inspiration from myths, stories, um, and games rather than actually being able to see it and have it directly reflected uh, into what you're doing. For sure. Yep. I mean, Aaron and I talk ad nauseum about, um, you know, world building stuff that we're doing. not just with Dungeon Synth, but just with D&D or, you know, stuff that I'm working on for my personal projects. And, like, we're always just talking about all the sort of stuff um, humming away in the background. I mean, I might allude to what you were telling me um, last time we talked, as about, you know, maybe the concepts around your next release, which was, I like, definitely yeah. pricked my ears. Is that the term? You know what I, I mean? Think so. Yeah. <laughs> That sounds weird. Um, but, yeah, I was like, oh, whoa, that sounds crazy. And it's like we're always talking about possibilities and what can be done, and like what more can you do and how crazy can you make it. And I just think it's going to get crazier and crazier, hopefully. So do you find it easier starting with the world that you're building and then going out from there rather than starting with an idea and having to flesh it out with the world? Um. You, you go first, Naz. Yeah, I, for me, everything that I, everything that I'm, that I conceive of in, in a fantasy sense or some kind of narrative that I'm building is is naturally within a world that I've already built and yeah. that, that I understand the parameters of. Even the, um, even the dungeon that exists within my the album of Wanderings of Cursed Halls, it exists in my in my world somewhere i don't i wouldn't be able to t- point to you on the map but it that does exactly that does exist in that world so like that when i when i conceive of what's happening there and, and what the um, adventurers are doing and stuff like that it's definitely within the world that i've already pre-built i, I tend to work um for lurid orb stuff in in kind of um con like very abstract con uh concepts like just a slapdash sort of idea 
and then kind of fill in the gaps to make that work as a narrative. Mm. Um, and sometimes the ideas are really like they don't go anywhere. Um, but but usually they kind of do. Like I have every single song title and concept already planned for the next album before I've even started working on the songs. But then, yeah, I, like, for example, I've just having a look at some of the notes in my, like, little tome thing here, and I'm like, album idea, songs in tribute to the love of two aeonic gods, one of which was lost forever. And then, like, the first song would be of the fish, fish mistress that could not evolve in time, so she was lost to the dried lakes. You know, this is the kind of stuff that my wife in, is in, in bed next to me going, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, nothing. I mean, <laughs> I'm not doing anything. <laughs> I'm terrible for that and, um, and Duolingo. Like I'll sit there at night just in like trying to learn Italian words, but, you know, <laughs> seems like oh. you're out here creating full words. World, sorry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's fun. I like doing this kind of stuff. So we've got one release each from Lurid Orb uh, and Myth Scribe, and that's sort of where we see uh, Mystic Scepter at the moment. What have you guys got lined up either individually or through some sort of collaboration? What's uh, 2024 going to be looking like for you guys, do you think? Go ahead, John, if you want to go. jump in. Well, I think I'd be surprised if both of us don't have another album out um maybe we'd be pushing it to um get it done early in the year but i think we will probably have albums follow-ups done next year um i've got a physical release um through brilliant emperor coming which was originally going to be like a tape and shirt drop but we've upscaled that to be vinyl which is super awesome yeah Um, talk us through that that's an exciting time yeah yeah like um Pete from Brilliant Emperor. We, I was just taking a while to kind of like get together the shirt designs and um, it sort of gave him time to like ruminate on the, the thing and he was kind of like, oh, I'm not sure like releasing it as a cassette will be the best for the, showing off the artwork and, you know, having an impact and, and also just in general with like how well the release seemed to just be going motoring online. He was just like, well, let's just do a um, vinyl release instead. And I was like, great. Um, well, seeing that this is going to be the first drop, I'm going to do a whole heap of crazy stuff. So I went back and redid the shirt and made it even crazier and um, going to have a whole heap of extra special bits and pieces that you can kind of like, depending on how much you want to. Have as an additional or like yeah, like just just tier stuff. Like you know, I was thinking of throwing in original sketches and bookmarks, and maybe you can buy the original artworks if you wanted that kind of thing. Um, And yeah, hopefully that comes out pretty soon. Um, I'd be surprised now if it was before the end of the year because um, we might try and squeeze it in for Christmas, but doubtful. Um, And then yeah, like I was just talking with the Netherworld guys about. you know, doing some some events ar- around that, and like I haven't figured out my live performance side of things yet. But but Aaron, you can take over in a second. But you know, you you've already played live a couple times and to really good effect. So it, it would be silly for us not to kind of try and get some some sort of involvement going. 
you know, around events or releases. And then yeah, after I drop mine, I think just because I was first cab off the rank, then we'll like swap over to the Miscribe release and then probably do a similar thing. Yeah. I'll most certainly have another album coming out early next year. Um, I'm currently starting the sound design process for that album. Um, I actually, I don't use synth presets. I, I, I do all the sound design for my own albums. So I, I program all the synth sounds and, Jeez, you can get so lost in the weeds in all that. I yeah. think we were having this chat last time, John, but Aaron, in regards to you're basically, from my understanding, the sole musical contributor behind that. And then with the collaborative process in terms of the art, do you feel as though sometimes you get a little, little bit lost in the weeds and overthinking and overanalyzing stuff? Because I always find that interesting when people can record something, write it, do it all themselves, and then release it off their own back. So do you find yourself going, no, nah, man, I just, I got to, this, this one sound is not quite perfect and spend ages agonizing over it. I, I do. I spend an enormous amount of time um, on sound design. He <laughs> <It laughs> does. Because, because I mean, if, if I find a sound quick, then I'm, I'm great. That's fantastic. But oftentimes I will, I'll spend a whole afternoon just um, trying, well, if, if I put a saw wave with the square wave, at a different balance, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> can I get like a like? A, and if I re- up the if I bring up the resonance on the filter, I bring the filter down and bring the resonance up. Can I get like a a whistling flute type sound? And then I'll be like, that sounds pretty good, but I, I don't think it should be a square wave. I think I should put a triangle wave in there. And like, I, I actually <laughs> I'll spend whole afternoons doing that. So it's I actually just I get I get lost in the sound design for a long time and until. I've sort of done enough going around. I've gone around and around it enough. It's almost like I've let it all like simmer for long yeah. enough. And then I'll, and then I'll sit down and I'll just from that, from that part, like from that couple of months or, or whatever, weeks or months or whatever of, um, of just like mucking around with the sound design, I'll have a good idea for when it actually comes to the writing process. And I'll just put together the sounds fairly quickly at that point. But I've, but, it's not really quick because if you, you, you've got to count all of those weeks and months beforehand. That yeah, I've been all, spending all of like the groundwork process yeah. behind it. Yeah. It's Do you all have anything coming up with on... a concept, an audio concept. Yeah. yeah. Do you have anything on in the, the background to give you any inspiration? Like are you, when you're working on stuff, do you have something just sort of, not even, it can't, might not even be directly relating to what you're doing, but just having something on in the background on a TV screen. Yeah, I mean, at first, I find it very difficult. Always um, working in in the audio field, I find it very difficult to put other things on while I'm working. Yeah, because it distracts me a lot. No, I, I know that. I'm always listening. I'm always listening very intently to what I'm doing. So, um, I find it very difficult to put to put things on while I'm working. To be honest. Yeah, but I, but like if I if I do, it'll be long form podcasts about. Um, you know, high level, like philosophical things or whatever. That it'll do just, we live in a? Yeah, <laughs> it, it, I think it, it's just to sort of like occupy my mind sometimes while I'm while I'm doing like um, longer sessions. But but then I often actually have to just turn it off as well while I get stuck into the audio work. Yeah, that is the that is the downside, especially when I'm editing podcasts. I have. I'll be watching something, but with the sound turned right down. So you don't really see 
all of it. You kind of just have an idea of what's going on. Uh, but that's exciting stuff that we've got some some new releases for you guys coming out in uh, in the next year. Yeah, that's going to yeah, be good. Looking We're looking forward, forward to, to it. it. Um, and how did you find the transition from going and play, actually playing live? And how did you find the reaction? The reaction was I couldn't, um, you know, you couldn't imagine anything like more successful. Like it's it, it's actually. I'll actually be honest, getting up there at the Netherworld event and possibly playing live Dungeon Synth in Brisbane, the, the first ever Dungeon Synth performance in Brisbane possibly, I, I suppose. Um, it was a, it was, I don't want to I, I, I was nervous say, for you. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to say it was a nervous feeling. It was, it was more of a feeling of like, what are people going to think about this? Yeah. And because um, I wasn't really nervous to, I had worked out my set. I knew how to play it, and I and I worked out how I was going to perform it. But but I was, I was, I can't deny that I was like thinking, people are going to think this is so weird. And <laughs> particularly then, when you with the cape on. I put a cape. I wore a cape. Oh, you had to wear uh, a cape. It, a red a, velour cape and he had like it's a... It's a black uh, velour cape. Oh, sorry, black. My bad. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> but the, uh, you might be confused because the, they had lit it all up in red light. That's exactly, yeah, because um, when I look back over my videos, it looks red. Yeah. So I'm on stage with a cape on with my synth set up in front of me and set to the side and it's up in this like wooden display case with the lights blinking and stuff like that. Nice. And then and on the And I had a bunch of tarot cards put displayed out the front and I had um, a, a feather quill yeah. like sitting in the pride of place right in the center. And I'm, I'm just thinking to myself, people, I, I think I'm insane right now. But then I, I started did. playing and, and it was fine. people, they loved it. And I couldn't believe, actually couldn't believe it at the end. It was amazing. I find it is one of those genres though where, Unless you're in the know, it is a bit obtuse and you you aren't too sure how people are going to react or what they're going to think. Like people who love it, yeah, yeah, love it. And if not, it's just kind of like, what the hell is this? <laughs> yeah, I mean, Aaron did a really good job of performing it uh, in an entertaining fashion too. Like, mm. at, I mean, the, the crowd that was there for the Dark Souls theme event, it, you know, you, you, that's probably a good, first gig crowd to have yeah you kind of know what's going on but definitely in the because you had the long intro part and i think people were kind of like you know looking between each other (laughs) over their drinks and sort of like what's going on and then like the first beat dropped in and everyone was like whoa damn and it was like really loud and you're kind of like running around all over the place doing stuff and i think people were like holy shit like (laughs) this is actually like not just a dude with his laptop sort of thing. Yeah, I'm like, I'm actually tweaking the synth parameters live and stuff like that. Yeah. And I think people cool. were like resonated. They could see that I was actually performing it. Rather than a DJ sitting there pressing one button, doing the hand things and like faking touching the faders. Yeah. I mean, I actually had, I, I'm, a, I'm very dedicated to making sure that when I perform live, that it is a performance. And I think that that's, um, that's been something that I've, had actually had as a mission for this music, this like this music that I've been making as Myth Scribe. 
What is your idea of your live performance? And John, we can touch on this when you like what your idea is for when you start performing live. But Aaron, with for you, what is yeah. the visual that you want to get across performing live as as Mythscribe? The visual? Yeah. Like what, what are you Yeah. What are you wanting to, to put forward? I would actually prefer it like I would I would I'd actually love it if I had more tables with synths and stuff on them. <laughs> But I, mm. but I like them to mm-hmm. have that rustic feel. So I've got like wood paneling on the, on the side of my thing. It's like, um, and I love that blend between the fact that it looks old and old worldy, but at the same yeah. time, there's all blinking LED lights going, going, like, um, yeah. flashing red, blue, stuff like that. And I, I love that balance. It's almost like a, that balance between fantasy sci-fi. So yeah. like, like there's a, the, there's that beautiful blend, particularly with old fantasy sci-fi, like old fantasy and sci-fi, where there actually was very little, dif- like very little difference between what was fantasy and sci-fi back in the day, yeah. in like the sixties and stuff. And um, I, that's I, I love that as a visual. And personally, I'd love to have a whole another table on the other side, so much, so that the so that the stage was flanked with these kind of like analog synthesized wood paneling and, and all sorts of accoutrements like feather quills and and like a maybe like a um an alch- alchemy set got like oh on see there the, we go the, that brings like us this. back to our, our original question of the glowing green pot yes mm-hmm. hey perhaps i'm not the pointy hat, hat wizard at all <laughs> <laughs> and john for you what is the uh you haven't played live as of yet if uh is that right no no and we we actually were talking about this really recently like aaron is like you know how are we going to unwrap this problem and um i'm probably not technically as adept a musician um as aaron naturally so like the idea of playing complicated parts and stuff on stage is really doesn't float my boat. I actually started getting into this genre to avoid playing live. <laughs> and, and and now I've got this problem because, you know, um, I think I need to do it. So I think probably from we butted our heads together and I, I would like to maybe put some pretty big effort into like the dress up element and the the visuals. Mm. like projected stuff and um i want to acquire somehow like timpanis and gongs um to like add that element of percussion live and then probably just zone in on some of the more crucial elements with the synths to play live um but i certainly won't be doing the kind of technical backflips that aaron will do so i'll have to smoke and mirrors it with like visuals and um weird stuff and i've actually been on the search for picking up some orbs i went to a crystal place down um in mount tambourine and they disappointed me um and trying to find one of those old you know the start of x-files and there's that like electricity orb and stuff yeah i know the ones uh, if you if anyone out there knows where i can acquire any of these things let me know Um, i always thought that was like a when you're a kid, you'd go to like National Geographic, like those kind yeah. of stores. Granny Mays for the the '90s kids. They were always going off with the lava in the lava lamp section in Indrapilly. So, like, uh, yeah, just I, I think I'll just try and acquire all this kind of crazy stuff and um, see what I can come up with. But I'm probably still a fair way away um, to figuring this out. Um, 
I think I'll get the, the release out of the way first and then um, then go from there. Yeah, start, start, you know, under navigation from Aaron, like getting some setups and just figuring out what I need and that kind of thing. So I'm keen though. I would love for us to, to place in a cathedral somewhere. I think that that would be a, a huge goal um, or in some sort of tunnel, underground tunnel or some, some something like that. I can't remember where I think it's a uh I think it is a church in the valley, but they do have gigs there. We set sail, played there maybe two years ago now. Is that the one that's kind of tucked off the street and then it's actually quite huge? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is my, that one. A, a friend of mine, um Gail Saronda, who has a fashion label, they actually did a kind of gothy fashion show there where they took out all the pews and um, oh, that's cool. really pissed off the, the uh, congregation members, to be honest. They were having a huge <laughs> – the, the first and only time the pews had been taken out of the church since it And they was had built, no idea what to do with it. They were, they were screaming. I was there helping them move everything and I'm like – but that would be – somewhere like that would be absolutely unreal. Yeah, um, that would be a cool place to do it. I'm not sure how we'd set that up. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, I don't know. Well, that's everything that I had lined up for you guys. Is there anything else that uh, we missed that you wanted to have a chat about? No, I think we, we covered a lot of good stuff. Um, no, I'd probably just say, like, um, uh, just a- anybody who's, um, like, heard of Mystic Scepter now and, want, and, like, you know, wants to follow along with what we're doing, just um, stay tuned. Um, check out our website and... Um, Check out our socials. We've, we've got socials for for all of our um for our like projects and stuff like that. So yeah, just check it out. Yeah, I, and and to build on that, like I think um, Matt, we sort of touched on this last time. Like Aaron and I are very happy to talk to you. You know, like if you get in touch, we, you know that would be awesome. Or you know, and to thank you to everyone that's been listening, but like. We're more than happy to like have a chat. Um, I love when that happens. It's great. I certainly don't want to, you know, hermit myself. Yeah, like that's some true. weird kobold and not not return <laughs> messages and stuff. So, yeah, if you want to get in touch, just message us. We'd love that. And the best place to do it would be uh, through the website and everything. Yeah, just through yeah. that, or you know, through our Instagram or whatever. Well, I appreciate you guys taking some time to uh, have a chat to us and we'll keep an eye out for everything in regards to Mystic Scepter, Mythscriber and, and Lurid Orb. It's appreciated. Wonderful. Uh, yep, we appreciate it, Matt. Really love the support and, um, yeah, you got a great show, which I enjoyed listening to. So um, keep it up. Yeah, thank you, Matt. Great chats. 